0: Hey now, and welcome to the City Off-Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. Today, we're joined by Alabama sports reporter from Way TV, Max Cohan. How's everything going
1: with you, Max? Pretty good, pretty good. Not much to complain about. You know, obviously, uh, as you just mentioned, being an Alabama sports reporter, would have liked Alabama to win because it would have had some better coverage, but uh, can't complain other than that.
0: And we're going to dive into that in a second, but Jack, I just want to talk about, we're recording this Thursday the 13th, I just want to talk about some very heartwarming slash saddening news that came out yesterday. One of the greatest pitchers of all time retired yesterday, John Lester, (laughs) led the Cubs to the greatest World Series of all time. I just want to know, Jack, how do you feel about that? How do you was, feel that John Lester has walked away from the game? And did you see what I sent you on Twitter from Jason Stark? His Red Sox ERA was a three six four. Cubs ERA three six four. Win percentage as a Red Sox six three six, same as a Cub. Just most consistent pitcher, winning World Series with two organizations, changed the way Chicago baseball was played. I, I just want to know, like.
2: Well, he talked on 670 the score yesterday, and I thought it was pretty soft and a beta move of him to be asked by the guys on 670 which hat he would want his bust in Cooperstown to have. And he said, I wish it could be a fan hat so I can have both the Red Sox and the Cubs logos. I think that's pretty soft. When
0: you win as many World Series as him, I mean, I would understand why you'd want that.
2: <laughs> and then he, he had the even bigger beta move of saying, Well, I'm glad someone else gets to make that decision for me. So. I, look, if, if he's a true competitor, he would know where his heart lies in terms of which teams he's played for. Maybe the Cardinals. Who knows? He had a really good end of his career. So, you know, a good career for he him. He's strong. I saw his return to Wrigley. He, I think he is going to go down as like for our generation, one of the greatest playoff like competitors there ever was. Like the guy just got up and competed and shoved every time in October, November it didn't matter. Like if you put John Lester on the bump, you know, you're getting six, seven innings and he's probably going to shut down the lineup. So, yeah, you know,
0: he had like a one, three, three ERA, you know, in the world series and 35 innings pitch, you know, yeah. just kind of no, legendary.
2: I'm pumping his tires as well. He, he did good. He's a, he's a great pitcher. Um, I'd say that deal is what kind of put the Cubs over the edge. I mean, it was either that or the Jason Hayward deal, but I would probably say it was the John Lester one that really put them over the edge.
0: Yeah. I just thought it'd be nice for Cubs fans to hear you say some nice stuff and quickly to talk on Mets baseball real quick. Hey, Max, how does it make you feel to um, the only news coming out of your organization right now is that you're retiring Keith Hernandez's Jersey.
1: Well, I mean, we're in the middle of a lockout. What do you expect? I, I think that is true. The, the, He also can't say that that's the only news. We did sign Max Scherzer, and there,
0: and you traded for Javi Baez, and then he went to another team. But
1: I'm not, you know, I I did like Javi the brief time we had him. I really liked him. There were points where I didn't like him at all because he has no plate discipline. (laughs) I mean, he really doesn't have any, he He had a little bit in
0: 2016, and then after that, he forgot that discipline.
1: but, But he was swinging at stuff that like a t ball guy wouldn't swing at. And, you know, when T-ball, you know the ball's on the tee. You're going to swing at everything. He just would swing at stuff that was below his socks. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, fine. We know what he's put. You know, you can do it. He's capable of doing it. And then you hit a 450-foot home run, and you'd forget about it for an hour. And then I think he had a golden sombrero against the Marlins this year. I mean, it just – Swings like how you
2: swing on be the show.
1: Exactly, exactly. That's exactly. And
2: that's a problem because I am. I swing the same way. Like yeah. if there's, there's a low changeup. Looks like the best pitch of all time. I'll swing it every single time.
1: Yeah, and that's how it must be at the plate in real life because that's definitely what he's seeing. Um, so I'm a little bit bummed that we missed out on him, but there, there's still a possibility we get Chris Bryant, and that's going to hurt you a little bit. It's nah, still a possibility. He's back to Chicago. I don't think so. And we already I, got Scherzer, so I, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, he'll pitch half a good season, and then the then he's gonna be a boss, you know. Of he's
2: not Degrom. Seasons. He's yeah. not Degrom. No, he's, he's way DeGrom. more durable than Degrom.
0: We'll see how durable he is at like 36. But...
2: I, but people make that same argument for Verlander, and the guy's shoving. So I mean, also, Verlander at, was
0: hurt all year. Look at Scherzer's
2: second half
1: last year. He had an unbelievable second half. I'm it was not saying,
0: great, but let's see what he does as a Mets. As, as, a soon
1: mat, as I mean, as once put they put on...
2: that jersey.
1: Yeah, once the blue and orange pinstripes come on, things just seem to go sideways. So yeah,
2: look look at James McCann. I mean, he was an all-star <laughs> for the Sox. He goes to the Mets and they want to ship him off to the minors right away.
1: Yeah, him. I mean, he he's just Oh, <laughs> I was kind of excited when we got him too, which almost makes it worse.
2: I was upset that we let him go. Were you? Same feeling. Now no, you're man. not. Now you're not. I'm cool with it. <laughs> uh,
1: the only recent I guess it wouldn't even be like actual Chicago to New York acquisition, but the only notable one that I can remember that worked at even slightly well was in 2015 when the Mets had Juan Uribe as a bench player. And he, he had a few big moments that year.
2: He was probably like 41 at the time. Oh, he was old. <laughs>
1: and the story of the year was that he said, cause he got injured on a play cause he wasn't wearing a cup. Classic. And reporters asked him, you know, what the hell's going on? He goes, oh, they don't make a cup my size. <laughs> that was my favorite
2: part about him. That was, that was why the Sox kept him along, just for that exact trait. That must have been why.
1: Yeah. So now transitioning out of
0: baseball talk, I wanted to talk to you about this past season, you know, you covering Alabama sports. So covering Auburn and Alabama this year. You went from not being able to even enter the stadium to now you you were working games at two stadiums. What was that experience like to go from not even being able to enter to now being in packed college football stadiums each weekend?
1: First of all, I mean, once you go into those stadiums for the first time, it's a life-changing experience. It's not Syracuse football. No, it's not. But that's for the best because I can tell you, I went to a couple games at the Dome where you looked around and you thought that you were at a basketball game in high school, you know, it was just, when you have a 50,000 seat stadium and your football team is known for winning four games a year, you're not really going to have a lot of people who want to go watch them play, especially at a school like Syracuse, where you could be doing better things like drinking or, you know, standing in the snow. So once you go into a, a real SEC stadium in the heart of the South with teams that are expected to do well, the first time is absolutely life-changing. And so the first Alabama game I went to this year was Alabama Southern Miss. That one's not exactly going to pop off the page, but I do believe that that game, Jameson Williams uh, had three touchdowns of 80 plus Yards, so I think he had the opening kick return touchdown, then he had I think it was like an 82 yard touchdown reception, and then another kick return touchdown. Um, so that wasn't actually the first game I went to this year because the first game Alabama played was Alabama Miami in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, that was a blowout, that was tough to watch, and uh, I actually saw Lee, yeah, on the sidelines for that Mm -hmm. one, and let me tell you. I had high expectations for that game. I mean, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching D.R. King on the sideline. I'm like, this is this Heisman candidate right here. This is going to be a great game. Terrible game, horrible game, horrible game. But watching those teams play was awesome in Atlanta. And then watching, watching Alabama go back to Tuscaloosa and then dominate that Southern Miss team. You're like, okay, something special is happening here, but there's a real difference in the fan bases between Alabama and Auburn. It's was, almost like, ask yeah, it's almost like Alabama fans just expect to win. So they're not as excited when big things happen. I mean, obviously they score a touchdown and they play that elephant noise and the fans go crazy for a second, but in Auburn and Auburn's a smaller stadium, they're just louder. You know, you just feel it more. And it's like they appreciate what's going on more. And I can't say for sure that that's what it is, but you feel something different when you were at Auburn. And I don't know what it is, but it's loud.
0: Now, like covering the teams and stuff, when you're, you're trying to you know create storylines or deliver news after the games and stuff, Is there more pressure to deliver a storyline on Auburn or Alabama, like in terms of making it more interesting for your audience? I
1: wouldn't say there's any real pressure depending on which team it is. I think it's pretty even. Um, I would definitely say though, and going back to what you were just asking before in terms of being in the stadiums, it's so much easier to report on these teams when you're there. There's things that you would never see if you're just watching the game on TV. There's things you don't hear about. And obviously – You don't hear some of the stuff that they say on TV. Like a perfect example, when Bo Nix went down with that ankle injury, the guys who were shooting the game, we had no idea what happened. You know, we just thought that they were taking him out of the game because they wanted to make a switch at quarterback. It, It was not at all clear that he had suffered any kind of significant injury until the post game press conference when he was answering questions about it. And even then, we were wondering, why is he talking about his ankle? You know, it wasn't super super obvious. And um, so things like that make it interesting because you don't know what they're talking about in the broadcast booth because they're getting that additional information, but you're seeing things on the sideline that people normally wouldn't see. Like, let's say um, during the iron bowl, Jameson Williams gets ejected for targeting on a punt return, which is don't ask me why he's on the punt return team. I blew my mind all season. He's ejected from the game, but in, college football this year, you don't have to leave the sideline. So he probably thinking that the rules are the same starts to head towards the locker room. And Nick Saban has a bunch of guys chase him down and just bring him back. And he stood next to Saban for the whole game. And you're like, well, I don't think you would have noticed that if they didn't have a camera on it. Right. So being right there for that's pretty cool, but not nah, in between the teams, I wouldn't say there's additional pressure, for one team more than the other there's obviously going to be more coverage of Alabama than Auburn in terms of football because Auburn's not making the playoff as much so they don't literally last as long but I mean we we did the same amount of coverage for Auburn as we did for Alabama
2: one of the big storylines that happened for Auburn after the season ended was Bow next leaving and like, was that something that a lot of people expected to happen, or I was kind of taken back and surprised by it? Oh, I was completely
1: shocked, completely shocked, especially because they don't really have a quarterback on the roster that makes sense as the logical successor right now. I mean, T.J. Finley obviously filled in this year, but, uh, you know, you weren't like, oh, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be the guy that takes Auburn to the promised land. And being an Alabama guy, it just kind of seemed like Nick's was going to stay you know, the fact that he had his dad who played there and he had had success there. You thought that he was a lifer. Right. I it really, I think it took everybody by surprise, but uh, then just recently, they got Jay Calzada, which means that uh, they wanted the one guy that could beat Alabama because that's all that matters to Auburn <laughs> and they got him. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if that makes a difference. I don't really know. Cause I'm, I wasn't super impressed by the year he had, but I guess it's better than nothing, better than T.J. Finley. So, you know, we'll see how how much of a difference he makes.
2: I had, I had one question going to, like, the Bama storyline, and this is something that I, for some reason, took very personally, was the fact that Will Anderson didn't get the same respect that Aiden Hutchinson got and how he was just completely shafted in terms of the Heisman Trophy voting. And I just wanted to, like, get an idea of, whether or not Alabama fans were just like complacent they're like okay we have something bigger in front of us than worrying about the highs and like yeah Bryce won it but Will should have been there instead of Aiden like was that widely known or was it just one of those where they they saw Aiden get it and they're like well that's bullshit but Will's here for another year probably so he'll he'll get his chance next year like how how did that kind of get received by the fans?
1: Oh, no, they were were like, that's bullshit. They were posting the numbers everywhere. They did the side-by-sides. They were posting the videos. They were not happy. They were really not happy. And I get it. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's pretty obvious that he should have been there.
2: Oh, 100%. He's got a season's worth of tackle for losses on Aiden Hutchinson, and he's a year or two younger. Yeah, he's a sophomore, so he
1: has to be back next year. Right. And, yeah, I don't know what the decision was. I mean, obviously, I know it was all down to voting, but I don't know. And because Aiden also finished second. So it's not like people were like, oh, yeah, we'll give Aiden some, you know, just courtesy. No, no, no. He finished second, which means that many people thought that he was worthy of winning the Heisman. I don't know on paper what people were seeing. I mean, like to backtrack for a second, if you look on, I know we'll talk about this later george's defense everybody talks about jordan davis right he's the guy
2: his numbers don't jump off the page he's not the guy well the so only number the, that jumps off i started to cut you off but he is like 26 years old that's the number that jumps well, off to me
1: right but on that defense the statistically best player is the Kobe dean right it's not jordan davis but everybody talks about jordan davis because of you know and, and this is what everybody said when we talked to like, well he basically just stops the run you can't run against him because of the fact that he's there it's like well okay but but he's not the one who's making that happen it's the guys that are around him and it's the fact that he's there that you decide to pass the ball it's more of like an implied fear of what he can do but yeah will anderson and i'll tell you i watched him in person uh i don't even know how many games i was at this year i want to say like eight maybe eight games and There's a power that he has and the quickness that he can get off the line with. It's unbelievable. And if you saw him do this as a sophomore, you got to think that this guy is going to be a surefire top 10 pick next year. I mean, and if him and Bryce have the seasons that they had together, this could be like number one and two, this could be your top two guys. And yeah, I can tell you a Heisman would have looked good. A Heisman nomination or Heisman finalist, would have looked good on his resume but I wouldn't say that that's out of the question for next year but yeah people were not happy that he did not make the cut
2: I mean he's got a hundred tackles total solos and assists combined and that's 40 more so than Aiden Hutchinson I don't think they go by strictly tackles but it's not like Will Anderson's not involved on every play teams did try to make a point to they go away from Aiden Hutchinson and that's Okay, that's a game plan. Willie Anderson didn't really care. I mean, a third of his tackles were tackles for loss. He found a way to make his impact every time. And if we really want to get to nitty gritty, he had more pass defenses than Aiden Hutchinson. So, yeah, was he the bigger factor? Probably. But, like, my whole argument has always gone back to the one defensive player that I always thought really got shafted in the Heisman was Nadamik and and if I don't think there's a defensive player that was more dominant than him, then they shouldn't be in the conversation. And not to say Aiden Hutchinson isn't, but his stats just don't stack up to Sus and they definitely don't stack up to Anderson's. So I was just so – it really felt like the Heisman Trophy was decided by recency bias in that championship weekend where Bryce demolished Georgia and then Aiden demolished Iowa – and it was like, well, those guys are top two because they had the top two performances that weekend. And I thought that was just completely bullshit. The Heisman looked very tainted this year compared to years past.
1: Oh, I completely agree with the recency bias because people were saying if Bryce didn't perform well against Georgia, it was over. They were yeah, saying it was gonna
2: be CJ Stroud, probably.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what it was gonna be. And so you have to wonder, is it fair that you wait until championship weekend? to make these like, it's kind of, it's kind of not fair. And I mean, you might remember last year, Alabama had three guys in the top five and we were kind of thinking, all right, that could happen again this year because you had Jameson who also could have been in the running. And I thought Anderson for sure was going to be top three. I mean, just in addition to the numbers, if you watch him play, like if you watch any game, and you just focus on him. You put a spotlight on him. You're going to be impressed every single drive. And I don't know what it was about Aiden. I think I think it was like a Northeast thing, you know, where people were like, uh, yeah, like Michigan hasn't had a lot going for it recently. <clears throat> this guy's pretty good. We could probably get behind him. Maybe that's what it is. It, you know?
2: it was the it was the sexy Cinderella story, it felt. I mean, they beat Ohio State. They had everything going their way, and Aiden was like the face of this revamped Michigan. It just felt like the national media really wanted to put it over the top and say, all right, well, then let's make him the Heisman. Right. I I, I didn't agree with it. I mean, personally, I also didn't want Bryce Young to win it just because I didn't think he was the best player on Alabama. It's Will Anderson, like we've been saying all along. And if the best player on your team – doesn't win the Heisman that I don't really understand like how the Heisman trophy works in the end. But that's, that's my own personal opinion. Bryce Young is phenomenal, but if it comes down to him and Will Anderson, I would take Will Anderson any day yeah. of the week.
1: What's also funny. I mean, with college football, there's so many different awards. I think there's two different awards that both go to the best college football defensive player, right? Because I know Jordan Davis won one, and Will Anderson won the other. And it's like, well, all right. How do you have two awards that mean the same exact thing yeah. and have them go to two different people?
2: No, definitely. I think the national media, I, in every sense, they it feels like that they just there's a bias that tries to, you know, push one narrative in front of the other, and that was obviously evident this year with Aiden Hutchinson. But uh, another storyline that I was interested with Alabama this year that I wanted to get your take on was was Nick Saban trying to kind of I wouldn't say chill out, but show more of his personality and really, like, enjoy the moment. Was that evident this season, or was, sure. there, was there a point, okay, and I was just going to say, like, was there a point where after that A&M game you could see him kind of, like, relapse back to this I'm pissed off all the time, Saban, or did he still try and keep it, like, even keel?
1: He definitely was more relaxed and kind of pulling back the curtain on, on his personality, and I think we saw some of that with – uh, I think it was Jordan battle early in the season. They had that. They had that zoom and they let him on. He made the joke. Somebody asked him, you know, what, what is Saban saying in the locker room and something? And I think Jordan responded something along the lines of he's always saying, you know, hold these or suck these or something. And, <laughs> and that was the last time that they let battle on the zoom. And, <laughs> and as you could imagine. And so you saw some of that. And then some of the stuff that you guys might not see, he does a, a coach's show, a radio show every week. And he was on the show. I think it was the week of that press conference or the week after. And some of the guys were joking with him about that. And you really get to see, I mean, he, he comes off as such like a stone faced killer sometimes. And this year was just different because he was kind of willing to show people that he's a regular guy that he makes jokes. Um, Another time you could see that, I don't know if you guys saw this, it almost went viral. Uh, during one of the Zooms, one of the writers was holding his yeah, baby yeah. and asked Sabin a question. And Sabin responded, is this the boss? You know, is this is this the guy who who makes all this stuff happen? And something, and then, you know, there was something about the baby being well, or no, was it? Because the guy was holding the baby, he was being more well-behaved. And so coach was joking that he wanted the guy to be on with the baby every time because it was, (laughs) it was stuff like that, you know, so you didn't regularly see that from him in the past. He was kind of just give me a question. I'm going to give you an answer. If I don't like the question, I'm going to let you know. And it really wasn't like that this year. A lot of people were talking about that. I mean, it was really almost odd because normally he has at least one big blow up on a, on a reporter And you know about it because it's bad. But the only thing that really happened like that was, I think after the Texas A&M loss, he's doing that radio show, and he goes on that rant Mm -hmm. about how nobody wants it more than the players. And that was the only real time you saw something like that this year. I mean, even if you were watching the national championship, the first thing he says to Kirby after they hug him, you kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's not something you expect him to do. And I get it. You know, the relationship with Kirby is different because they'll work together for so long, but there was just something different this year. And I don't know what it is. It really is hard to explain, but maybe he just, you know, turned 70 and felt like I got to tone it down a little bit.
0: What are, how did these press conferences work for Alabama where I feel like everybody probably has a question for Saban. So I know you've gotten a couple questions in the past, so how does it kind of work to be able to get your question in when you're trying to, you know, cover a specific story or a specific post game or something with you Alabama?
1: It's, it's interesting. You know, you'd assume that everybody has questions for you guys, and sometimes they do, but sometimes it's, it's a Zoom just like this, and, you know, you, they have the raise your hand function, and sometimes nobody's asking questions. It just, yeah, it's hard to believe that. I mean, even after the national championship, one of my buddies was on one of the early zoom calls and he got to ask two questions in the span of like three minutes because nobody had their hand raised. And that's not usually something you're expecting. You know, usually you ask a question and then you press the raise your hand function again, and you're expecting that they might not get back to you. So you have time to think of a question. He didn't have time to think of a question. So he just asked something random And it was pretty funny, Um, but you know, a lot of the time they go to the big writers first. So there's a few Alabama based writers. They always go to right off the bat. After that, it's basically whoever had their hand raised first. So you want to make sure you have a good question. You also want to make sure it's not a question that somebody asked before. And then you also need to make sure it's one of the questions that, you know, isn't going to piss coach off. So, you try to figure it out that way. The first question I ever asked him, I found out later was not a question that you're supposed to ask him. And what was it? I asked him, and this was right before last year's Rose bowl. So they're about to play Notre Dame and the team that they had last year was insane. I mean, (laughs) really just an insane squad. So I asked him, how does that team compare to some of your other championship contender teams. And he does not like to compare teams. He views these guys like they're his kids. You know, he's not going to pick a favorite. And so I asked him that and I, I knew I did something wrong because as soon as I asked the question, these Alabama sports writers started tweeting. Oh, somebody asked coach to compare the teams. And I'm like, this wasn't, this wasn't a good idea. He didn't rip me to shreds. He just didn't answer the question the way I was hoping he would, because that's not what he does, but there is an overwhelming pressure that you feel when you have an opportunity to ask him a question for two reasons. One, you don't want to sound like an idiot when you're asking him a question. And two, because you know that you could have just taken a question away from somebody who might've actually had a good question. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's like people, people shake legitimately shake when they have to ask him a question it's almost it's almost like you're talking to like a president you know you don't know what to say you get choked up but if you have to ask him something you have to ask him something and so that's kind of the way it goes
0: so what's the best question you've asked him that he's responded best to
1: i don't think i've had a good one yet (laughs) that's hey that's a good mindset i don't think i've had a good one yet it's a good mindset i will tell you though. I mean, doing the broadcast side of things, most of the questions that he answers on these Zooms are really focused on what the sports writer's storylines are. Mm-hmm. So they'll be asking, Coach, you know, your third string tight end, he really stubbed his toe hard in high school, and the coaches were saying they weren't sure he'd ever play again. Now that he's back on the team, what kind of perseverance and what kind of integrity are you seeing out of him? you like, Well, I can't use that. Nobody cares about the third string tight end. I want to right. know, I want to know about Jamison Williams' ACL. I want to know what Bryce is saying you know and so you gotta force the questions sometimes because they're not going to get asked if you don't ask them and that's that's the kind of thing it is and for you i feel like from what sounds like your role is a little different
0: than a sports writer because you want the instantaneous news you want the most current relevant information about the big guys rather than talking about kind of the nitty-gritty of what kind of happened during the game right
1: yeah, I mean, eventually you get to a point where you know that you're not going to have time to listen to the. Like, if it's right after the game and you got to turn something, you need that opening sound bite where it's like, we got our asses beat. Now we got to focus on next. You need, you need that quick one. And you can't have it like, well, you know, in the fourth quarter, one of our guys had to go tie his shoes. And so he came out of the game. And so at that point, we had this guy come in and he hadn't played a lot, you know, and you can't really have these moments where you have to separate every little thing so sometimes you got to go for those quick ones that maybe aren't the most interesting but they get the job done and it's him saying okay well we didn't win the game this one hurts or you know we won the game this is exactly what we wanted to do we talked about executing all week and this is just the result of us practicing hard all week. you know stuff like that and the storylines that they're going for it's like well okay coach you know you had a punter come in as the place kickers holder and people weren't sure if he was going to be the guy this year. What did he show you in practice that made him, you know, cause I mean, we, we had issues with the place kicker holder and that was an actual thing because it was the, it was the third. No, it was actually the second string quarterback who was Bear Bryant's. I think it's great grandson.
2: Yeah. You just transferred out. Right.
1: Yeah. Paul Tyson. Yeah. Um, and so th- there was an issue with him. In the Iron Bowl as the and you're like,
2: Well, yeah, what a game, what a game for, Paul, for Bear Bryan's grandson to be remembered in.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Iron Bowl as the guy who couldn't hold the field goal. And you're like, Jeez, that watching that in person was tough. It was honestly tough.
2: That's a legacy. One question I have sticking with the Alabama, I feel like there's just a lot of noise with it right now, but their coaching staff has always been known to be like a breeding ground and a little like an elementary school for coaches to go back and just learn a little and then bounce back to wherever they want to go. Doug Barrow and Bill O'Brien, a couple of names that people are looking at to maybe go back to the NFL. Has there been any of that like noise of them wanting to leave, or is it still kind of waiting to see what happens? Cause it's very fluid at this point.
1: The main news right now, at least from what I've heard, is everything pointing to O'Brien interviewing for the Jags job. Um I would imagine that he would probably take that because you know why would you not want to be a head coach in the NFL again? But at the same time, maybe it's one of these unfinished business mentalities where he wants to stay with Alabama. There really hasn't been a lot of talk about Marone. Um, as the just, I just of. said,
2: Marone, just because I know he's a name that's
1: no, no, no. But he, yeah. I mean, he is a guy who's been there. I'm just thinking. I don't think I've heard his name mentioned in any conversations um and and maybe that's for the best for him as a former syracuse guy right there too so um but uh, yeah i don't i don't know so much about him but people have been asking a lot about pete golding Mm -hmm. and he actually addressed that uh last week and he was like look i'm in no hurry to become a head coach but anytime there's any guy on that staff you're thinking to yourself well this guy's gonna become a head coach somewhere it's just a matter of time until it happens i mean i think it was. 2015 Alabama staff, every single coordinator is a head coach in college football now. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think part of it is just people want to be part of that tree. They want to have Saban's name attached to them. And the crazy thing is, like Saban, his tree comes down from Belichick. If you look at that path, it's ridiculous. And you got to figure you got to figure that the guys that work under him are just going to have success. It's just a thought, right? I mean, every time you see a coach go somewhere from Alabama, you're like, Oh, that programs we get, they're going to get turned around right, right now, just like now. And sometimes it works sometimes better than others, but I think it'll be interesting to see which of the coaches actually move this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Marone didn't move. I don't think Golding's going anywhere. But I do think Bill O'Brien might be might especially now that there's a few vacancies around the NFL. I think he might be on the move. But the Brian Flores thing does spice things up. Uh, I did not see him getting fired. Yeah, no, uh, neither did I. I was he's obviously it, I he's know. number one. Whoever's looking for a coach, he's got to be number one. Definitely. And then
0: you just kind of uh, you know earlier this week wrapped up your first like in person CFP college football playoff experience what was that experience like? going to the cotton bowl then going to Indy for the national championship and how did it feel different than other games you've covered like other than it just
1: being you know these national games oh okay well let me tell you something this is like the craziest two weeks of my life <laughs> undoubtedly because it didn't it started um i want to say december 28th which was a Tuesday we had the Birmingham Bowl so Auburn Houston we left from the Birmingham Bowl straight to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl so that was insane that was the 10-hour drive right there we drove through the night showed up at the hotel in Dallas at like four in the morning and then just got things cracking from there and being at AT&T Stadium was awesome I'd never been there before jerry world you hear all about it you know you see it on tv it looks super cool it's like you don't know this because you can't see it on tv right across the street from a walmart i'm not even kidding there's a walmart right there and it, they make it i don't know how they do it they make it on tv look like it's in its own little world
2: right And the parking yeah. lots just surrounding it and it, you know, it, nothing is not, it. it is not it is not like that
1: i mean there's like a taco shop across the street it is some it is surrounded by things they just get the good angle with the blimp it must be that but but being in Texas was awesome because the Cotton Bowl, you know, it's such a historic game. And obviously like Alabama played at that stadium earlier that year in the Rose Bowl, because the Rose Bowl game was relocated, which was super cool too. And uh, it was a little bit of a bummer that they went fully virtual with all the media stuff. Cause I was kind of hoping to have a traditional media day where you basically have just all these guys sitting at tables and, stuff, and you run up yeah. to them with mics and ask them whatever you want. So it didn't have that aspect to it, which was something I was really looking forward to, but part of, and honestly, one of the coolest things was the media hospitality room, where after a long day of work, you go in and they all this food and stuff. And you're just with everybody else that's working the event. And I'm not talking like other local media, like national media, everybody that's covering it. And, you know, in this situation in Dallas, it was, Mostly Alabama media and then Cincinnati media. So you meet a lot of cool people, a lot of people you didn't know before, people that you end up setting up your live shot next to, and then you have a discussion with them. And so that one was really cool. I mean, the Cotton Bowl was an awesome experience, especially because the game went the way everybody thought it was going to go. You know, nobody thought Cincinnati was going Almost a everybody. Almost. Well, outside of the zip codes that represent Cincinnati, everybody else. I think thought it was going to go the way it went. And so, the, you know, there was a level of excitement there knowing that, okay, if we win this game, we get to go cover a national championship, which is exactly what happened. So Dallas was unbelievable. I mean, really unbelievable.
0: Who are some of the national media you got to like kind of work
1: alongside or kind of, you know, run into. In and the one guy, the one guy that I saw the most was Brett McMurphy okay. mm-hmm. Um dude was always in the media hospitality room uh, in Dallas. He was doing a lot of Papa shot, the Papa shot machine. And, uh, and then in Indianapolis, huge pool player playing a really? lot of pool. Yeah. And my coworker was a huge fan of his didn't know that it was him though. Cause he had never seen him in person. And so the last night in Indianapolis, I say, you know, Nolan, that's McMurphy. If you want to go talk to him, he's standing 10 feet away. Just go talk to him. And so, You know, that was the shove he needed. And then he went and talked to McMurphy for like 30 minutes. I didn't even know what they were talking about. I think it was probably Virginia Tech stuff because he's a Virginia Tech alum. And uh, so they did that. But, you know, it was pretty cool just doing that. And then also in Indianapolis, ESPN had their production room right above the media workroom. And you had to go down an escalator to get to our room. So you had to walk past the ESPN production office. And so one day... Uh, we're waiting for Roman Harper to do an interview with us and he's running a few minutes behind. So while we're waiting for him outside, we got Matt Barry walking by us. We got Lee Corso walking by us. We got Kirk Herbstreet walking by us. Sean McDonough was in the hallway. I mean, all these guys were right around us the whole time. And, you know, most people kind of kept to themselves because you don't want to bother them. But everybody that, we experienced was cool. I did a nice little, you know, head nod with Tebow when he walked into the room, which was pretty cool. You know, obviously known best for being a, a former Mets minor leaguer over everything else, and uh, you know, it was cool. It was really just cool. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't guys.
0: do an interview with him.
1: You know, it's not so easy. The, the ESPN's pretty strict about who they let talk, and you know, we asked them for somebody, and they gave us Roman Harper. So that was our guy. Not that that's bad. I mean, that's a that's a good guy right there. And he had perfect information for us. I would have preferred Tebow just to, just to talk to Tebow about the Mets, but you know, I don't get to control those things. It's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I think honestly, one of the coolest parts, now I have just a credential that says national championship. I'm never going to wear it, but I told my buddies, I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear this for the rest of my life (laughs) because when you're, when you're at the media hotels, you have to wear them 24 oh, like really? seven. Oh, yeah, you can't get into the room with the food. If you don't have the credential on you know, you can't get on those levels. And so you've almost forget that you're wearing those things for two weeks, because you have to wear them 24 seven. And uh, I actually <laughs> somehow lost it. I don't even know where I put it, but I'm gonna have to find that. <laughs>
0: You'll get another one next year, don't
2: worry. Well, that's what we're hoping
1: for.
0: <laughs>
2: that's dude, that's how it always is with like you just open up this episode with they it's the expectation. Oh, we'll be back. We'll be oh, there. Exactly. Again.
1: It is the expectation. I I was making a joke right after the game. If you listen, every single press conference, and it's must be part of the training when they get there. The coaches and the players talk about two things every time. They always talk about that winning effort, you know, and all that. The other thing is adversity. They love talking about adversity. And I was joking. And I said, what if, right? What if they lost this game to Georgia and they're like, you know what? We'll lose this game. We have Will Anderson coming back. We have Price Young coming back. We just need more adversity to overcome. We just lost this game so we can talk about the adversity we had to overcome to win next year. Because they just need fuel for that fire. Obviously, they didn't lose the game on purpose, but I think that they're going to talk about the adversity of overcoming this loss all
2: season next year. Well, speaking of adversity, there was one like little funny storyline that Bryce Young kept saying that people were doubting him. And yeah, he five-star just, recruit. What are like, we talking about here, dude? Like you were the most sought-after quarterback in your class, and you've been slept on since when?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it was. He said that. Will Anderson said that. They were going for this whole underdog mindset all year. And like, okay, I get it. You were an underdog in the SEC championship game. You lost one game to Texas AM. You're still Alabama. Alabama. It's not like it's not like you're SMU coming out of like a, you know the lifetime shutdown of you know, it's it's Alabama football. You you're not ever the underdog, even when you're the underdog. It didn't make any sense, but look, it, that mentality pushed them to the national championship, and it almost got them a national championship. If, if Jamison Williams didn't go out with the 100%. ACL injury, I think we're looking at a different game. I think we're looking at a different outcome.
2: Well, it, I think it really goes back to the, the injuries caught up to Alabama, especially in that end-of-the-year scenario. I mean, they were down on a lot of running backs. They were down on vir- virtually all the receivers it came down to their one of their best options was jaleel billingsley who that was the last time i wanted to ask about he just transferred mm-hmm. and I, I was a little surprised by that because he's been like a tight end receiver hybrid for them for the last three years i'm familiar with him because he's from the chicago area so i w- did he fall out a favor with the coaching staff in terms of like playing time or just his effort or did he just want a different like scenery and different opportunity
1: There was definitely a little bit of a fallout at the beginning of the season. I don't know if you remember this. There was some discussion that he was in Saban's doghouse. Mm. Um, You know, things weren't going so well at the beginning of the season, and Coach obviously was not happy with him. And that that was kind of the point in the season where you started to see Cavern Latu come in and become the tight end. And it was like that for a while. But then there was a, a little bit of a period where Billingsley kind of got back in the good graces of the team and you had a double-headed tight end attack, which didn't last very long because it's not a team that was going to the tight ends very often, except for when they needed to. And I don't know what it was that made him want to get out. I think it was a tough year for him. I think that Mm -hmm. dealing with everything he did at the beginning of the season, maybe was enough for him to decide that it was time for a new seed, but, I mean, he had talent. When he was when he was playing well, he was playing really well. And I think you're right. Injuries did catch up to the team. I don't know why they didn't incorporate him more when they could have because he really could have helped fill one of those roles. Because at the end of the season, you're looking at the, the names of the receivers. You're like, okay, Ja'Cory Brooks. Who else do we get? You know?
2: You had freshmen. Yeah. That was, that was it.
1: You had Hall. I mean, it was – you were really looking at these guys like, wow, we miss Mechie. We miss Mechie, you know, like Slade Bolden, you know, like Slade Bolden has been there forever, but Slade Bolden, you know, Slade it's Bolden. like a, it's like a K Mark Hunter Renfro. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not that there's anything wrong with him. He's a good player. He's just, he doesn't, he doesn't get the excitement. That's not Jalen Waddle. No, it's not Jalen Waddle. And it's, He's definitely not John Mechie, you know, and he's definitely not Jameson Williams. So he's going to make the catches. He had a huge catch in the Cotton Bowl and he had a bunch of catches to start out the national championship game, but it's just not exciting. You know, it's not, you're not expecting him to break for a big touchdown. You're not expecting him to make an, you know, a spectacular catch. You're expecting him to make a curl. You know, you're expecting him to get hit on a drag it's not going to win you the game. And I think, you know, it's going to be something they have to address. And I'm sure that the transfer portal will be kind to them again.
0: And you, after Alabama lost the game, you live tweeted the Georgia celebration and you were kind of around for that. What was that like seeing Georgia celebrate this big net national championship moment for a team that hadn't won it in 40 plus years?
1: First of all, it was loud. Let me tell you, it was loud. It sounded like we were at a Georgia game. I mean, it was. They travel definite. well. Oh, those they, fans travel well. They do travel well, and so <laughs> it was loud. I mean, there was a point in the game though where they were getting a little bit unruly. They were throwing beer cans on the field. There were yeah, yeah, because there was that call, the Stetson Bennett fumble forward pass.
2: Oh my God. That was, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the fact that Bryce Young's wasn't and then Stetson's was, I can see why they wanted to freak the fuck out. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were losing it.
1: And so I thought for a second, we might have a stoppage of play. There were that (laughs) many people were thrown from the upper deck. Obviously it's not going to hit the field from the upper deck, but it's going to hit people below them. (laughs) Cheerleader. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So there were people in the, you know, in the first few sections that were actually hitting the field So they cleaned that up, but that was really quick. And so when the game ended, the fans are going nuts. I mean, everybody's going nuts. And then you hear Kirby basically first thing after he kisses the trophy. Reese Davis asks him, all right, well, you know, how does that taste? And he's like, well, I didn't really get a good taste, but let me tell you something. There's going to be some property destruction in Indianapolis tonight. (laughs) The crowd went nuts. And the other thing that was maybe the funniest part of the whole thing was that Georgia fans tried to rush the field, not all of them, but a select few. And it didn't end well for any of them, except for one guy. And I just saw a story about him. Guy rushes the field. He's wearing a Georgia jersey. Turns out he's a former walk-on. So they, you know, cuff him and they walk him off the field to a rousing ovation from the fans. I mean, they were going nuts for this guy. They didn't really arrest him. They put him in, like, Colts jail, and they put him, you know, in in the lockup for 20 minutes. I think kind of like a drunk tank scenario. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, during the course of the celebration, I watched, I want to say, three guys get shoved off the field because they had tried to go in on the celebrations. But – and you also might have seen – I think it was the Kobe Dean. They gave him the hat on accident. that had the Alabama logo on it. yeah. Uh So, you know, the the fans were going nuts. And so eventually we made it down to the field. They made us wait for like 45 minutes before we could go shoot our stuff on the field. But when we get down to the field, I'm walking out of the tunnel and I'm hearing this yelling. I'm like, well, who's yelling? What's this all about? And I get out of the tunnel and it's Stetson Bennett with his brothers hugging in the stands, like five feet away from me. And the first thing I hear is the sheriff or one of the sheriff's officers see the security guard. Why did you let the quarterback in the stats? And the security guard turns to the officer and he goes, "He just won the national championship. He can do whatever he wants." I'm like, yeah, he kind of can, I guess. Yeah, so
2: kind it of was again.
1: yeah, it was funny watching that kind of thing go on. Even I mean, that was like almost an hour and a half after the game, and. And then, obviously, you saw him do that interview on uh, Good Morning America.
2: My God, they got to ban that type shit. Like, it's it's bad for them to have to put him in that situation at 7.30 a.m.
1: Well, also, somebody showed me, and I don't know if this was actually him, but somebody showed me an Instagram story that had his name on it from right after the game, and it was a picture of a bar table. With eight high noons on it, and it said, "I have an interview at eight o'clock in the morning. Pray for me."
2: Well, I That's saw a video nice. of him, or a video, or a picture of him in the locker room. Just it might have been in the locker room, right after him pulling some some whiskey, just straight up. I'm like, this guy is just mixing everything he can find, because as a walk on, he's not supposed to be in this situation. That's so, right, might as well live it up and. Boy, I think he did. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what the future has in store for Stetson Bennett, but he's a he's a legend forever now. There's, I was talking about this the other night. I was like, when was the last time the national championship quarterback was a walk-on that had no business winning that type of game? And I don't know the last time, like, a quarterback of that, eh beat a real tough opponent in Alabama, and it's taken people like Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, you name, like, the top dogs that are required to beat Alabama. I don't know, last time they had a quarterback like Stetson Bennett come in and, like, set the world on fire and just get drunk all day because, God bless him, he deserves it.
1: I mean, I guess this is a completely different situation, and I don't think he was a walk-on, but the last time I can remember anything like that happening and it, it's also a little bit different because they were the better team it was Ohio state, that Ohio state team, Ricardo Jones yep. one, yep. but I mean, they, they were the team. Right. And I think, but I think they beat Alabama
2: with him. They did. They, did.
1: they In We the interviewed semifinal. Jeff
2: Hireman. Yeah. And he talked about how they uh, urban Meyer and, Um, who's the OC at the time Tom Herman what they did is they just started screwing around with Alabama and they do motions like left and right and they were like for nothing they were just screwing with them and Cardell Jones would just step back and throw a a nuke because he could because that's really all he really could do that's true but yeah it was uh I, I don't know the last time or if we'll ever see a quarterback like Stetson Bennett being praised and celebrated for winning a national championship it just seems like you always see a first- or second-round quarterback being that guy and then, like, raising his stock to be that pick. I don't even know if Stetson Bennett will, will get picked. For I, don't all think I, he, know.
1: I don't think he will. But the one guy I can think of that would have been like this had he won and he didn't would be Baker Mayfield.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is a good point. But that is true.
1: It, I mean, he didn't win. Yeah, right. but, I mean,
2: but also Baker has some more talent
1: than Stetson Bennett. Yeah, he does. He does. And, you know, he actually got drafted – yeah, um, number one he, overall. Yeah, so it's not too bad. I think Stetson might have a career as a graduate assistant uh, or, or a coach. You know, something of <laughs> that's, that sort. Uh,
2: that's a good. That's a good, good future for him. I'd say.
1: <laughs> I mean, hey, could, could end up putting him under uh, Coach Saban as a as a graduate assistant or something. Yeah, I don't hey, know. if you
2: can't beat him, have him join your staff, Nick. <laughs> but he did beat
1: him. Oh, you mean Nick? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I they did say. beat Georgia in the SEC championship.
2: Game. Yeah, but does it really count? <laughs> <laughs> hey, they still have the SEC
1: championship. They're still SEC champions.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, it look it was it was unreal, and I thought from start to finish, like Georgia was the the best team, and Alabama, like you've said, their adversity that they, they feed off of it, like Nick Saban says, the rat poison. Like they feed off of all of this doubt, and I firmly thought going into that final game, Georgia had been punched in the mouth for the first time all year that they'd finally faced real adversity. And I mean, if the better team faces adversity and they, they got to come back and beat the same team, the cliche in football, like I've said it so many times on this show, it is damn hard to beat the same team twice. And it very evident in that first half that both teams knew what each other wanted to do. And you started to see it open up once like Jameson Williams was injured in Georgia, knew we need to put our foot on the pressure. And Hey, I mean, they won the better team won, and Alabama like every year in the last 10 years, they have a chance coming into the next season. And they always will because of the coach and the standard they have. It, it, it's truly one of the more unbelievable things we get to experience as, as like sports fans watching Alabama because they are unequivocally every single year, the standard they are. Like you have to be Alabama in order to compete. And that starts with re- recruiting. That starts with competing preparation execution it takes a lot and to see georgia do it at the final moment with those injuries i mean it was it was really cool it was it was definitely one of my favorite college football seasons i'd say i I've, I've watched i don't know about you guys oh yeah easily yeah, i know it was season.
1: it was a little tough for you guys because Iowa was you know they were in the mix for a minute but uh
2: well we just talked about it on the last yeah, episode dude. with sean with sean bach and he said perfectly does stetson bennett Winning a national championship with Georgia give Iowa fans a glimmer of hope that maybe you could win a, a championship with a quarterback that's not a game changer? And I go, eh, maybe, but Iowa will just never compete skill position-wise. Like in recruiting, they just can't, and we'll it'll take ends. a lot. You'll have tight ends? Great. We'll have and offensive <laughs> lines. <laughs> hey, I heard Julio Billingsley's available. I heard Iowa's looking for some weapons. <laughs> could ha- happen. Who knows? Yeah. No, but I, I, yeah, it was, it was an unbelie- unbelievable year. Sam, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, you were wrong in your championship predictions, but yeah, it is what it is.
0: I was wrong. But also, like Max said, there were injuries that kind of, you definitely went So,
2: yeah, I, I agree
1: about that one for sure. Yeah. yeah well,
0: Jack, I'll just wrap you
1: know, it up. Yeah.
0: Before you wrap, I just yeah. say real quick um, today, since the 13th, you know, we're playing Indiana in basketball. Low family rivalry oh my with my brother Indian. So I just want to say real tonight. quick, you know, we're the odds right now uh, by ESPN, there's a 73% chance that I was gonna win this game. Really? Saying. Yeah, yeah. And Charlie's already making excuses that Woody's not wearing oh. a suit today and they're away and all this stuff. So I just want to know that I was gonna win this game by at least <laughs> eight to ten
2: points. That is my prediction. So I just want it Man. documented that's a shame you know it's a shame that a basketball school like indiana who they're, they're not at, a real bad they haven't been yeah. a basketball
0: school since the 80s Let's well after
2: clear. after we steamrolled them in 15 minutes of football they were like oh we'll see you in basketball yeah I know. Like, they're, they're nothing right now i mean it's it's pitiful to be in indiana i mean they're the little brother of the state to a school named purdue that's depressing
0: well um and notre dame
2: they're, they're, in, they're in their own league. They kind of just march their own drumbeat. Nobody really cares about Notre Dame. They're just kind of there, you know? So, but Max, we can't thank you enough for taking the time coming on, talking Bama, Auburn, all things college football. Um, and for everyone listening, be sure to go check out our socials with our Big grove giveaway. We're going to be announcing that January 21st, uh, that Friday, the winner's. Follow the steps on our socials to be entered to that giveaway. Like always, not the same time, same place. We will see you guys later.